everyone. This is Rohan Sadanti, and welcome to the Wharton Digital Health Podcast. It's a podcast where MBAs can connect with alumni about the latest trends, company initiatives, and jobs available in the payer provider, digital health, and investing spaces. Today, we are lucky to have Kristen Coletto, a senior director in the strategic partnerships team at Ation. Kristen is a 2006 Wharton grad who served in a variety of consulting roles and payer roles before coming to Ation. Uh, for those who are just learning about Ation, they're a developer of a healthcare technology platform that's designed to offer real-world analytics and evidence that's needed for pharmaceutical development and purchasers to thrive in a value-based care environment. Welcome, Kristen. Hey, thanks, Rohan. Awesome. Thanks for joining. Um, I've been chatting with alumni for various reasons over the last few months, and Ation keeps coming up. Uh, it's hard to talk about the New York digital health scene without talking about Ation. So I know um, folks, not just from pharma, but from the payer side and from the provider side are really interested in learning about you and the company and everything you all are doing. So thanks so much for joining. Kristen, we want to hear about you and, and kick off the podcast. So could you give us a brief summary of your career path before and after Wharton and how you got to Ation? Sure. Um, so Rohan, as you mentioned, I was uh, had experience in the consulting industry right after college. Um, and I always know that I wanted to go back to business school. So I worked for a few years at uh, two different consulting firms, then actually did my summer internship at Wharton in consulting as well. Um, and while I felt that it was a great um, way to get a lot of visibility into different industries and different clients, um, the one thing that I noticed was we would work on projects, do great analysis, put together these beautiful 100-page PowerPoint decks, um, send them to our clients, get a great job, but then the decks would usually sit on, on the top shelf and nothing would really um, get implemented. And so I decided that I wanted to work for a corporation after school just to get a sense of what it was like to be inside of a company um, and see how things operated and how things worked. And really fortuitously, I um, heard about, about Aetna. So uh, basically, uh, my first manager at Aetna, who is the head of the corporate strategy group, was an adjunct professor at Wharton, um, met with him and a couple of other Wharton alums who got an opportunity there and decided um, that it was really interesting and you know a great time to really be at Aetna um, to really get to focus on different growth opportunities that the company was pursuing. So I joined Aetna, I ended up staying there for nine years, um, which I never thought coming out of an MBA that I'd be at my first job at the first company for that time frame. Um, so I worked in the corporate strategy group. I then went to work for our international division, um, really looking to build that out and develop the international strategy. And then my last position at Aetna was working in our healthogen division, which was basically a health information technology subsidiary. Um, and when I was there, we were focused on developing an incubator to really bring new products and services to market. Um, so I led incubation efforts, which was a great, um, great learning experience and great opportunity to actually create products from the ground up and work with the team to pilot those different products with customers, get feedback, and figure out which areas we were getting market traction and where we weren't. Um, and from there, I realized I, I wanted to really focus more on operations by having that experience. Yeah. And was approached by um, a recruiter at Change Healthcare, who uh, at the time was developing a new business around financial counseling. And they had piloted the business with a couple of their big provider customers and wanted to bring someone on to start to build that out. Um, so I ended up taking that job at Change Healthcare um, and was there for about, I guess, you know, around three years, um, 
and worked on building out that financial counseling business. Uh, Change Healthcare merged with McKesson during my time there. So I um, also was then responsible for different uh, patient collection and revenue cycle management businesses. Um, and that, again, was a good learning opportunity. It was helpful for me to learn more about the intricacies of revenue cycle management, but I realized that wasn't really my passion, and I felt my career kind of going into more of the revenue cycle management direction. Um, yeah. So yeah. Started, uh started talking with folks about, you know, potential opportunities back in the healthcare technology space. Um, one of my former managers at Healthogen actually um, knew Jeremy Rathen, one of our co-founders at Atheon, and put us in touch. And I started talking to Atheon after they had just closed their Series A and was really impressed with the team and the people, but there wasn't just the right opportunity there at that time. So I basically kept in touch with the company for about a year. Um, and then after they, we closed our Series B earlier this year, came on board uh, working on strategic partnerships. And it's been a great ride for the past six months. Got it. Got it. Okay. We got, we got the career arc there. You've got a ton of different experience. That's, that's lovely to hear. We actually, we interviewed Adam Sinensky from uh, Wharton grad as well on a previous podcast that we're going to publish shortly. So change has also been highlighted. You're, you're the first one who's worked at two of our podcast companies. Uh, so you're, definitely, <laughs> you're really doing something right, which is great. So let's, let's, let's jump to Ation and setting the stage for why a company like Ation needs to exist. And to do that, we are going to have to just briefly understand what the platform does. Um, so just so to give our, our listeners a sense, um, it's not just Chris and I who think that Etion is a hot company out there and, and are spending time thinking about it. They raised more than $35 million in the spring um, from Flare Capital Partners, NEA, I mean, some big hitters uh, out there. And of course, Octane Partners uh, involved in the round. So the market has validated the need for a company like Etion. Uh, which is great to hear. So could you give us just a brief um, overview of the platform and services? And then we're going to zoom out to really just talk about the industry and trends and why a company like this needs to exist. Yeah, sure. And I'll give you maybe just a quick context on, on the industry, and then we'll spend some more time on that, as you mentioned. Um, but really within healthcare, there continues to be a, a strong focus on outcomes and value and really making sure that patients are getting the right treatments at the right time and at an appropriate cost. Um, and so what we're seeing is there are lots of conversations, obviously, between payers and providers, and then increasingly biopharma manufacturers and companies who are focused more on value-based or outcomes-based types of arrangements or analyses, um, and really at varying levels of sophistication right now, I would say. But to really, you know, do that effectively and move more toward this um, environment of value-based treatments and the right treatments for the right patients, the right information and analyses is really needed um, to figure out kind of the underpinnings of that. Um, and so that's really where Atheon comes in and where we play. Um, we're a healthcare technology company um, with a platform that focuses on those questions, basically which treatments work, for whom. And we've built really the only, I'd say, scientifically validated platforms to analyze real-world evidence at scale. Um, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about real-world evidence and what that means. But general history of the company, so Atheon was founded in 2013, and we commercially went into market in 2015, so we're still relatively young. Um, our founders are two Harvard Medical School epidemiologists and professors, and they have been working over the course of their careers with real-world data and real-world evidence um, for, you know, over 20 years collectively. And also our CEO is a Wharton alum, Carolyn McGill, um, who some of you may have had the opportunity to meet. 
Uh, right now, we're about 120 employees. We're headquartered out of New York City, but have um, a big presence in Boston and also an office in LA. And in terms of our, our products and services that we offer, um, so Rohan, you mentioned our platform. So we um, sell access to our platform, which we call the ATN Evidence Platform, or AEP. Yep. And it's basically a self-service um, platform that's sold to biopharma customers and now um, increasingly payer customers. And basically, our clients will license the platform and use that to run their own analyses and studies. And then in addition to the, the platform business, we also provide analytic solutions, which are more project-based um, segments of work. And we actually have a team in-house of scientists um, who will manage specific projects for our biopharma or payer customers. And they'll actually use our platform to run the analyses for those projects. Um, so we're kind of an extra you know, pair of arms and legs for some of our customers who want us to actually perform the analytics work for them. Got it. Got it. That's a great explanation. If I can brag for the company, I think over half of the top 15 uh, pharma companies are using ATN. I think that was what Carolyn said in her presentation at school. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, but there's serious traction quite quickly for this company. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And that's something that we're really excited about. Um, not only obviously to have the customer relationships, but that also helps us really drive our focus on setting standards in the industry for real world analytics. Um, and having a lot of the larger players at the table working with us really helps us in our goal of achieving that. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about then, then some of the terms that you use because, um, ATN really does play in a space that, um, that requires some explanation, I think. So let's let's make sure we understand that our listeners understand that. So why does why does pharma need another platform to test out their drugs? Can you give us a sense of what what is it in the industry? Why do they need that? Yeah, and I say right now there's a lot of um, you probably may have heard buzzwords around real world evidence or real world data, RWE, RWD. And that's a kind of a main focus right now of regulators and then, you know, by extension of biopharma companies. Um, so real world, world data, when people talk about that, it's basically data that can inform a patient's health status. Um, and it can include information such as claims data, um, data from electronic health records, um, even patient reported data, you know, starting to get data from med uh, mobile devices or medical devices. And all of that provides um, information around a patient when they're getting care and some of the clinical outcomes that they're seeing in their lives. Whereas before, a lot of the decisions around drug delivery were made really from information that was garnered through clinical trials, which uh, in a lot of cases represented a subsegment of the population. Um, and why you're hearing a lot more about real-world data and the evidence that comes from using that data or real-world evidence um, is at the end of 2016, there was a, a law passed, the 21st Century Cures Act, and it was really focused on trying to bring medical development and new innovations to market more efficiently for patients. Um, and as part of that act, the FDA is creating a framework to evaluate the use of real-world data to make certain decisions about drugs um, that may extend you know, beyond just using clinical trial information to make those decisions. So as, as a result of that, um, a lot of pharmaceutical companies are very kind of interested in the space and are starting to look more um, and work more in real world evidence. Can you set the baseline then for our users? Is it that real world evidence can be used in substitution 
for clinical some types of clinical trial data or are we still figuring that out so we're still i'd say we're still figuring that out um and actually last week the fda released um, their initial framework in terms of using real world evidence and i'd say that some of the areas that they're looking at right now are um, looking at secondary indications of drugs so if you have patients who are taking you know those drugs and you can have electronic um, medical record information or claims data around that that can show you what those outcomes are. That could be helpful in potentially designing different studies. Also looking at safety signals. So once a drug is in market, can you use real-world evidence to monitor if there are any issues within certain subpopulations um, and areas that you could, you know, work around. And then, you know, the the some of the thought is, are there certain cases where if we're not saying we think that clinical trials would be completely replaced by real-world world evidence, but are there certain cases where um, real-world data could and real-world evidence could be used um, to substitute, you know, for a clinical trial? Got it. So, Etienne made it sounds like made a pretty early bet on real-world evidence, um, and the founders did, especially in the companies, been built on this bet that um, – the interaction between drugs and a population, the measurement of that interaction will move towards real world evidence over time. It may not take the place of anything, like you said, but where the market is moving that direction, therefore we need as an industry, we need platforms that can aggregate the data and analyze it in, in using cohort analysis to determine outcomes. Is that the is that the big bet that we're talking about placing here? I'd say that we're, we're placing a bet definitely on the use of real-world evidence um, and, as you mentioned, how that leads into outcomes-based care and contracting. And I'd say that one of the things that we talked a little bit about setting standards, so very early on through the relationships of our co-founders, um, the FDA actually chose Atrion as a partner for a three-year project that's still ongoing. But basically what we're doing for the FDA in concert with um, other entities providing data is recreating 30 randomized clinical trials using a real-world evidence approach um, based on the analyses on our platform and trying to determine if um, the same decisions would have been made if you were using real-world evidence versus what happened or versus the decisions that were actually made, you know, using the clinical trial approach. Um, so we think that that kind of getting involved in those conversations and helping to set the standards with regulators and working, you know, with them as they're thinking through these, you know, big um, issues and, and things to focus on, um, you know, is helpful for us and it's really one of the things that drives us. Um, and then now what we're starting to do as well is as we're having conversations with biopharma customers and also with payers, we are in a unique position to be more of a neutral third party. Um, so basically our analysis, our platform can be used to structure analyses on both sides. And then we can bring the two parties together to say, okay, when we're looking at certain sub-cohorts of patients, you know, does this treatment make more sense, even though it may be a more expensive drug um, because it's more effective? And then how do you biopharma manufacturer and you payer have discussions around um, making sure the economics of that play out correctly? Got it. So the couple of megatrends are that it's, it sounds like the FDA is saying we had this really expensive drawn out clinical trial process um, for original indications, but after the drugs released, secondary indications are harder to come by. There's also other data out there, RWE, we could be using 
to then supplement the outcomes-based measurements for the efficacy of a drug. And there are burgeoning platforms with merged data sets that could help us do that. Sounds like Biopharma is saying, uh, we want to get on the right formularies. We want to get access to the right patients. And if the industry is trending towards value-based outcomes, we want a platform that can then help us prove that out and help us analyze what the efficacy would be. So kind of both sides are coming together. And then the other last trend is that payers are looking for ways to measure value. So I think you, you sort of sit at the nexus of those three uh, sort of groups coming towards a value-based solution. Is that how you see yourselves? We do sort of see ourselves as kind of that nexus or that independent um, third party who can help bring different groups together. And I'll say too, with biopharma manufacturers, there is a, a strong focus also on the regulatory um, aspects of RWE as well, um, and how they can kind of following with not only the FDA, but the EMA, um, the PMDA in Japan and other regulatory agencies, how they're evaluating real world evidence and how that um, may mean how pharma needs to restructure how they do their analyses you know, going forward, depending on what some of those standards are going to be set as. And so I think, you know, right now, as you mentioned, there's a lot kind of swirling together, um, but it's, you know, it's an exciting time. And I think we'll, over the coming probably 18 to 24 months, we'll have some even, you know, additional guidance from regulators in terms of where they see the efficacy of of RWE. Um, And, you know, we're happy, we're excited to be, you know, part of that process and have a seat at the table on that. That's great. I mean, anytime um, I'm going to call ATN a startup, it's still, it's still early in its life cycle here, but it clearly has a lot of market traction. Anytime a startup quote unquote can be involved uh, at the top government level and be talking with um, the executive branch about how, how to get things done is fantastic. So it's great that um, you have the ear of folks there and you're clearly being used already. Um, at the forefront of RWE, we could talk about this for days, but I know folks always <laughs> want to learn about they want to learn about the person, right? So, Kristen, we want to learn more about you and your role uh, at Ation, which I'm sure it's a startup, so it's changed a million times. But you could walk us through either the evolution of your roles or or current state. So, what's a day in the life? What are you working on? Uh, what does your team do? Um, that kind of thing. So, if you want to maybe start there today, I'm sure there's been a lot of different things, but we can start with what what do you do today at the company? Yeah, sure. And that's a great way to describe it, um, especially at a startup where there's a lot of movement taking place. Your role generally tends to change over time. Um, So right now, I am a member of ATN's strategic partnerships team. Uh, Basically, what we were a newly formed team um, in around May or June of this year. And our main focus is really finding different commercial partners, um, data partners, and also capabilities partners for ATN to work with to really kind of further our cause and grow the company. So for me personally, right now, I'm spending a lot of time on our data strategy. Um, So figuring out, one thing I should say, kind of just to backtrack about our platform, but um, we're not a data aggregator or provider, but what we do is we enable um, our users of the platform, so biopharma customers and payer customers, to bring in any data set that they would like. And we're data agnostic. We can handle claims data, clinical data, data in all different structures and formats um, to enable our clients to do their analyses. Um, But what we're finding is that um, a lot of our customers are looking for access to different data sets that they may not be able to get commercially. 
so we're engaging in uh, different partnerships discussions with um, both international uh, data sources as well as domestic where we can get different access for our customers and kind of brokering those arrangements. Um, so I'd say that I've been pretty, you know, heads down on that over the past couple of months. Um, and we're getting ready to uh, kick more into high gear now that we figured out our key areas of focus. Got um, it. And what is your sense of the data landscape? Um, I was at a data healthcare EMR kind of data company and aggregator for two years. And when we were working with EMRs, this is 2014 to 2016, people wanted to hoard their data, right? So yeah. <laughs> you're, you're obviously working at a much larger scale with consortiums and, and data aggregators and stuff like that. Is your sense of the landscape, because you're going out there asking for data and it's not just money or you're not just paying for it. I mean, there's there's a win-win on both sides for giving up data and, and getting data. So do you feel like the landscape is slowly starting to shift where um, people are more encouraged to share data across companies or is it still um, kind of the sense of uh, the more data I own that no one else can own, the more valuable my company is? I think we're seeing kind of converging forces here. So I think there is um, maybe more openness to commercialized data, you know, to try to get value for your data. But at the same time, there are a lot of concerns around data privacy um, on, on kind of the personal or consumer level, you know, especially with what we've seen in Europe and then, you know, kind of other areas of focus around that. So what we found in our discussions is that, um, you know, in some cases when talking with a data provider that may not offer their data available for commercial use, again, they, they kind of view us as a trusted partner um, because we can set up permissions in our platform around how much of the data could be accessed or where it could be accessed. We can even put people on premise to access data so it, it, it you know, is um, in concert with European regulations. And what they're kind of the questions that they're really looking at are, you know, more from a public health standpoint, too. Um, so if pharmaceutical companies can get access to this data for specific studies that they agree to, how can that actually help their populations get better treatments or drugs brought to them um, or address maybe some underlying public health issues that they have? And that's kind of where some of those entities are starting to see the value in those types of partnerships. Um, but there's still, you know, there still is, I'd say, some concern and some, you know, focus on fully releasing, you know, data and fully commercializing data in a lot of respects. Yeah, yeah. I get the sense that um, in a lot of these conversations, uh, Atian comes in and, and uh, folks who might not know them, you know, top payers or whoever it is, would say, wow, I didn't know a company like this exists. Or, wow, I'm, I'm surprised you'd be able to even take this data and make it useful. Um, when you're talking to these data consortiums and all that, just because I don't know of that many players out there that are able to pull this together and make it useful. Are you finding that you're the sharp tip of the spear when you go into these rooms and, and they're saying, oh, really? There is a company that works with the FDA and, and kind of does this? So are you finding any of that or are you finding where they're saying, oh, finally, like, you know, it's, we've been waiting for someone like you. It's great to have you. Here's the data, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's kind of a mixture. So in some cases, our founders, Jeremy and Sebastian, um, are extremely well respected in the industry. So in a lot of cases, they are they walk into a room and everyone you know knows who they are, and um, that's helped in a lot of that relationship brokering. But yes, I'd say that when we talk to some providers, um, having them have an understanding of really the power of our platform and what we're doing is kind of eye-opening to them. And then they're excited about the prospect of saying, okay, well, can we partner with you? Can we work with you to make sure um, 
I mean, one good example of this is we've had a number of data providers say, look, we provide our data to uh, biopharma customers, but we're not really sure that they are using it maybe in the right way or in the full or getting the, the maximum power out of the data that we're providing. Yep. So can we partner with you, Atian, to set up um, different features in your platform that make it easier for those clients to, you know, really get the value out of the data that they're purchasing? Um, and so we're working on in a lot of different relationships along those lines as well. Got it. Got it. Excellent. Well, we uh, every podcast, we like to do a couple of uh, segments that are structured for each one. One of them is hiring. Um, so I want to transition us to talk about that. And, um, you know, you raised a bunch of money in the spring. So this is the time when folks start knocking on the door to try and get in when you're growing. So definitely want to talk about hiring MBAs specifically. But before we get into the mechanics of that, I want to highlight for our listeners that um, it's, it takes just a second uh, when you get to Ation's offices to realize that Ation has a tremendous balance between men and women at the company. And uh, I would go so far as to say that Ation takes pride in the fact that it has a, a lot of women in leadership roles in the company. And um, Carolyn, the CEO, uh, obviously, and then yourself, Kristen, and many others. So A, a do you think that's true? Do you think Ation places an emphasis on hiring women? And B, if that's a yes, how has Atian been so successful in that emphasis and then building that pipeline and, and bringing women on board? Yeah, and that's a great question. And one of the things when I first um, started talking with Atian that I was really impressed with was just the diversity and not only kind of gender diversity, but just, you know, general um, diversity around the members that make up our team and even the diversity of thought, um, especially having a team that has a scientific element to it as well. And so we actually just um, last week had our all-company rally. So every year we bring everyone together, um, uh, you know, to really discuss how we've done in 2018 and talk about the year ahead. Um, this was the first one that I participated in. But one of the things that we actually discussed was that 37% um, of our senior leadership is female, which is an increase from last year. I think it was around close to 30%, maybe 28% last year. Wow. Um, and yeah, so there's definitely kind of a, a big focus around that. And I think, you know, generally we believe that by having a diverse team, we're getting kind of the best thought and we're, we're able to really drive innovation um, and, you know, move the company forward in that respect. Um, and our CEO, Carolyn, is actually a member of an organization called Parity.org. And as part of that organization, companies commit to interview at least one qualified woman for every um, senior level role, VP and above. So even at the CEO or board level. And yep. so I think with that kind of charge, we've taken that on at Atheon, um, and that's also helped in terms of looking at our gender diversity. Got it, got it. Well, that's excellent, it clearly shows. Um, and then as we keep talking more about hiring, Let's just first um, discuss all the Wharton touch points that you have. Let's so get a sense. I think Atian's really plugged in uh, to the Wharton community, and it's fantastic. Could you walk us through some of that, and I'll, I can round it out too, and then we can finish up by talking about specific roles and the mechanics and all that. Sure. So I will say that I um, definitely, if, if you're a Wharton student and are interested in Atian, reach out to me. We love to bring um, more folks into the organization. And as we talked about, our CEO Carolyn is a Wharton alum. Um, Two of my other colleagues are actually Wharton alums, Wharton Healthcare alums. Um, so we're, we're trying to slowly infiltrate Atheon. So come our way. Um, great, great. <laughs> but as you, you mentioned, Rohan, we participated in the Wharton Digital Health Trust um, just a few days ago. We also are sponsoring a FAT project this year, which we're really excited about. Um, 
and we also do sponsor the Flair Scholars Program. So we're, we're basically really looking for just bring, a ways to bring talented people into our organization um, and, and find ways for them to contribute. Um, also, you may see Carolyn, our CEO, around campus. She's very involved in Wharton, has been back to campus, um, a, I guess, about a month ago to teach a course and um, is often involved in a number of healthcare conferences and panels that they offer. And I would add very approachable. Um, yeah, and very approachable. As, as are you, Kristen. So if I, can, if I can highlight just a quick story, Carolyn and Kristen came in to speak uh, in uh, Doug Presence Healthcare Services class a month ago. Um, I walked up to Kristen and told her, I want to learn more about the space and I'm interested in taking a spring internship with Ation and kind of pitched it to her and she connected me with the right people. And uh, while I've signed a full-time consulting offer after graduation, I'm doing a spring internship uh, for Ation. So full disclosure on that, but uh, I'm really excited about it. And the approachability and the, the understanding of where MBAs can fit in is quite strong at Ation uh, based on the project I'm doing. So just to all the listeners out there, this is not all talk. Um, and then just to, just to wrap up the hiring conversation, do you have a sense of um, whether you'd be taking interns or whether you'd be hiring? It's hard to project out to the spring uh, or the summer and then afterwards, but could you give us your sense of it, maybe what kinds of roles you're thinking of? Yeah, and um, I guess the great thing is that we are growing very quickly now, so we have a lot of work <laughs> for people who are looking for the opportunity. So if, if there is interest in internships, um, please do reach out. As you mentioned, we don't know exactly what we're going to need five or you know, six months from now, um, but we definitely have, we don't have a shortage of things for people to work on. Um, so we definitely would welcome interest on that front. And then for full-time hires, um, the partnerships team, which I'm a part of, is looking to bring on a few new hires next year. Um, our delivery team, um, which you know focuses on um, implementation and work, more working with our clients as well as our product team, are expanding and are looking to bring on new roles. So I would say definitely you know check our website, but also feel free to reach out to me or others if um, you have a specific interest or specific capabilities that you bring to bear, and um, we'd definitely be happy to to welcome that and to hear from you. That's great. Well. I, I can echo everything Kristen said. Um, she fast-tracked me and connected me with folks at the company. And after a few conversations, um, I was brought, brought on board for a very specific project uh, in the spring of 2018. So, so really, uh, she's she is a woman of her word. So, to all our listeners out there, definitely uh, give her a ring. So, we like to close with any last thoughts. Um, this is a really broad section, so I know it's a little loose, but you can. Uh, folks like to give maybe advice for MBAs. So, you know, they're 35 minutes in. They they're like, wow, this Kristen lady, she's brilliant. I just want to hear what she has to say. Rohan, get out of the way. That's what this section is. <laughs> Any thoughts for Warden um, specifically or, or companies you want to highlight? Kind of anything you want to highlight uh, at all? Yeah, I think Warren, maybe starting on the advice angle, um, I was one of those people coming out of college who had, you know, the specific five-year and 10-year plan all mapped out. Um, and I think I, I realized for myself it was important to have, you know, general goals in an area of direction. But... Um, it was also important maybe not to have everything so mapped out to take advantage of different opportunities as they came up. Um, because I realized at least, you know, my path was really not that straight line, but has kind of meandered a bit and I've maybe gotten off one path and onto another path. Um, but I think by having that kind of openness of mind, it enables you to really evaluate opportunities that come your way. Um, and as long as you're focused on opportunities that you feel help you grow and are, are helping you develop um, in a way and getting exposure to different things, 
you know, that's really valuable if you kind of look back at your career, you know, five to 10 years out of school. Um, the other thing I would say, too, oh, go ahead. Oh, I just want to touch on that because you, you really did give uh, us some, a blinding insight, which is you had the consulting offer. You gave it up to go work in industry. Um, very few people do that, um, especially in 06, but it's still the case now. Could you just give us a, a, a little insight? I mean, how did you make that leap? I think that's really tough to do. Yeah, and I think also, too, a lot of it, um, you know, coming out of school, a lot of my, I was considering working in New York or San Francisco, and, you know, Hartford, Connecticut wasn't really um, a hot spot for MBA students to go to. But I think what it came down to was, um, you know, in talking with the team of people that I was working with, and just, I think, the opportunity that, that I was getting afforded, it was kind of like a, almost like a gut feeling that I felt that I should take, um, you know, take that path. And, you know, for me as well, I was like, oh, gosh, I'm making the wrong decision, and what happens? And everyone kept reminding me, you know what, if you do this, and you try it out, and you take this risk, and you don't like it, you can always change your mind. You're not kind of set and forced to stay somewhere for, you know, the next five years. Um, so yeah. I think, you know, I think being able to take that risk is great, especially when you're coming out of school or you're in school and doing an internship. Um, I actually wish that I had done a different internship other than consulting to get exposure to something, um, a different area. But, yeah. you know, really take advantage of that time that you have. Um, and you have the resources and the intelligence and, you know, the capabilities to make those changes if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I, that's fantastic. Sorry, I cut you off from your last piece you were about to deliver. <laughs> Oh, the other thing I was going to say also is I was, when I was kind of thinking about my, you know, my career um, steps and, and uh, preparing for this podcast, of the six roles that I've had after, after business school, um, only two of them have been roles that existed that I applied for and went for a recruiting process um, for. And the rest have been mostly when I was looking to do something new, having conversations with people to talk, but also to really listen about the different areas where they're having challenges in their businesses, and then trying to think through where maybe I could add value or there could be kind of a good way for us to come together. Um, and it requires more work on your side because you're basically, in essence, you know, trying to track down something that doesn't exist, so it's not an easy process, and you're basically writing a job description and, and testing it out with folks. Um, but that's where I found the roles that I like the best when I've had more of that collaborative process. And so I wouldn't, I would tell people not to shy away from that. If you see something that you're interested in and it doesn't exist yet, you know, work with people to see if you can make it happen. Um, and it won't happen maybe a hundred percent of the time, but it's worth, you know, taking that exploration. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your advice, especially on the road less traveled. Um, your batting percentage is a thousand percent considering you've worked at one of the most successful payers and then, two multi-million dollar startups, uh, one of which has already merged. So you're doing something right. Uh, and it's great to hear it straight from the horse's mouth on how you make those decisions and why. So um, to all our listeners out there, please get in touch with Kristen through me or directly to her. She's very approachable and always wants to hear from you. And Kristen, thank you so much for spending the time and walking us through um, why a company like ATI needs to exist. And we're wishing you and the company the most best and continued success. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm um, looking forward to hearing from a lot of you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.